Let's continue in our study in Genesis in chapter 2, but let us do a quick recap of what took place in chapter 1, and that basically is what Moses was giving us is a summary, in a sense, in a sense. I tell you what, let's just break it down the proper way as we're supposed to. Verse number 1, Genesis 1 and 1, is the original creation somewhere in the dateless past okay verse number two of genesis chapter one tells us that that creation was destroyed and as we've talked about it and on, on a number of previous videos how satan's kingdom the original creation namely the earth to which satan was the ruler of was destroyed and that's when it used that term formless and void tohu and bohu and then we see in verse number three, and that's our point, when we get back into God renovating that creation that was marred almost to a point of destruction, not annihilated, but that's what it means, formless and void. It was completely messed up. And so God re-entered into the creative process once again but this time, the goal was for man, that is, Adam and the human race. So we see God working for those six days and the different things that he had, he had done, moving the waters, making the expanse, uh, creating the dry earth, and then bringing forth vegetation and animals and things of that nature. And all of God's creative work on right up to the point of the apex of his creative activity when I say apex that simply means the reason for God doing all of these things and that is for mankind so we get all the way up until the sixth day and that's when we see the creation of man and then on the final seven day which gives us that week of creation the Bible said that God rested from all of his works now we're in chapter two after in and we're going to start in verse number four after dealing with the issue of god's resting on the seventh day and we begin with a, this particular section and if you guys recall i told you that particular word called toldoth Toldoth. And actually, verse number four says, Ele Toldoth. These are, and they translate that word generations. Now, the idea is this the Toldoth. And, and if you guys, and, and go back and look at the previous video that I talked about in the introduction in the book of Genesis. But the Toldoth basically divides the book of Genesis into separate divisions. And what Moses did was Moses compiled, he gathered this information, he compiled this information. Now, what the point of the Toldoth is, it basically says it gives an answer to something that has happened or that a person or a particular event that God left off talking about. So when it says these are the accounts of the heavens and the earth, so this is what happens or this is what took place following or the results of the, the of the creation 
And that's the idea. So notice it says in verse number one, this is the account of the heavens and the earth. So, so what takes place after then? Well, what's the end result? So, so what's the end all in all of that? And so basically this is kind of like dealing with that particular episode of creation. All right, now let me make another point, guys. This is not another creation account. And, either, and I've, kind of, I've read where some people kind of want to make this some another creation account. No, this is the same creation account. But what we find out in Hebrew sometimes, what, what it'll do is this. It'll make an account. It, it'll, it'll, it'll make a point, a story or some sort. And then it'll go back and revisit that particular point. So it'll seem like said twice. And so we don't have two creation episodes in chapter two. So this is not a create creation episode that happened in chapter one, because remember in Genesis one and 26 and God made man. And now we're in, in Genesis chapter two and where we're going to talk about the creation of man again. This is not these are not two accounts. It is the same account, the same account being revisited being reopened so what we're doing is we're looking deeper into the activities of what took place on the sixth day so basically that's what's happening since man is the apex he is he is the climax of all of god's creative work that's why god did all of these things created the world and did all that stuff that we see in genesis verses 1 3 to chapter 2 verse 3 all of that creative work was done for the purpose, for the benefit of the man that God was making. OK, so what we're doing in chapter two, verses four to the end of chapter two is we're going to look closely at what God did on the sixth day. OK, remember, on the sixth day, he also created animals as well. So we are not going to see this being done again. What we are going to see is what actually took place on the sixth day. We're going to open it up and take a closer look at it. OK, so let's start. And I don't want to put a lot of time into uh, certain other points. And, I, and you guys will see where, which points that is, which points that <laughs> you guys will see what points those things are in chapter two that I don't want to put a lot of time into because I want to put time more in principal issues of chapter two. Okay. Certain principal points that we need to see. So other things I'm kind of move on through that don't, I won't say don't need a lot of explanation, but it's okay. All right, let's just begin. Two and four. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven and again that whole issue is this this is the account that word that we we use account is told oath. so here is now the beginning for this particular sections as it looks back on what happened when god originally made man so let's look at this particular event verse number five now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground. So now we have 
is already clearly looking forward to the creation of man. And I, I hope I don't want to take you guys too fast, but I want, I want you guys to see it. Now, remember that it said that earlier that God had already caused the plants and things to sprout up above the ground and to cause it to grow and the seed bearing in its seed into those particular plants to be in those plants and already to grow. And here it says there is no shrub in the field. Is there some sort of a contradiction? I don't think so. I don't think that's the case whatsoever, but I don't want to put a lot of time at this particular point. But all I say is what I believe is happening here. And it is clear when you look at this section in totality in this two, four, all the way to verse 25 in totality, the concentration is on the garden of Eden. And I, I believe that is what the, this text is telling us about, not in all the rest of the earth, but in a particular part of the earth, no shrubbery, no certain vegetation is beginning to grow. And notice what it said, because there is no man yet present. Okay, so clearly it, it seems to indicate that our reference here is not as so much as to the rest of the planet, but to a particular part of the planet that this section is concentrating on, namely the Garden of Eden. All right. And then it says uh, another point in this particular verse that there was no rain. As a matter of fact, it did not rain upon the earth until the time of Noah in the flood. That is the only, that is the first time that it began to rain. So from the time of Adam's creation, from hundreds and hundreds of years up until Noah's flood, it never rained. Then the question becomes, well, how did the earth receive? How did the plants get water? And that's what verse number six says. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. So the earth was formerly watered by some hazily mist that would come and simply water the earth. But before the Noahic flood of Genesis chapter, remember the whole issue of Genesis seven through nine, before that event, catastrophic event, no rain, but let's keep going. Now we're going to, in verse seven, we're going to, uh, um, Take apart Genesis 1 and 26 when God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. So exactly when God made that statement in making man, what did he do and how did he do it? And this is the function of really all of chapter, the remaining of chapter two that we're discussing now. This is the function of that to tell what God did when he made that statement of Genesis 1 and 26, verse seven. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now there are three things that we need to see in particular. Number one, that first man was formed by God. And I like that, I like that, I like that. And I don't wanna get into that but it's always good to, to think about in a sense. Since man is made, formed by God, man owes his allegiance and obedience to God. But anyway, let me move back to the verse and help me to always remember that. 
Then the Lord, he formed men from the dust of the ground. So number one, we see, remember, animals were also, animals were formed first, okay? Animals were also formed similarly of the ground. Same thing, just like us, formed of the ground. And, and, and we can talk about that ad nauseum, you know, the reason why God made man of the ground or that is made man to be a terrestrial creature was simply because this was man's intended domain. Man was intended to function on the earth. So therefore God made him of the earth. But the whole point is God made him from the dust of the ground. That's the first point. And of this thing, the dust of the ground, here's what you need to see concerning that man is basically a biomechanical being. He is simply about, in other words, it would just a, 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 a thing of flesh. That's all he was at that point. When he was made of the ground, he was simply a thing of flesh until the second point of the verse and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And now, now this is now this whole thing about the breath of life. Uh, uh, it is also shared by animals. OK, the breath of life is also shared by animals. The same thing that we have. However, the difference is when God created the animals, it is nowhere stated so directly. Notice concerning the man, it says that God breathed into his nostrils. So we see a direct relationship with God's activity of giving the life, not just creating it and making something, but notice God's breathing the life. That, that's why man is a much more complex being than animals. Why man has an eternal soul and animals do not. Okay, so now first we see first thing man is first created a biomechanical being formed of the dust of the ground. Wow. Second thing, then God what breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, once God had done that, only when the breath of God entered that biomechanical body, then did we have the final remaining man became a living being or a living soul. So without the breath of God, man would just be a piece of, of uh, unanimated flesh, flesh without life. So the life entered into the being of the man once God breathed into the man. And that's what sets uh, uh, those other points concerning man and the animal kingdom in their complexity in God's direct activity with the creatures what sets us apart from the animal kingdom. One of the things, okay, God himself has done so. But anyway, let's continue. So now we have the creation of the man. And so now what happens? Verse number eight, the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. So notice he had taken the man First, he planted, God planted a garden, and this is that garden that had, was not caused to grow that we were seeing in the earlier part where there was no vegetation, right? Now that God has made the man, is, is, he's ready. Now you can see why now everything is getting ready for verse number, chapter 2. So he plant, God plants a garden at the, the famous 
Garden of Eden, East in Eden. Now, what we need to see is this. Eden is a very large place, and I don't want to talk so much about this, but look at the text. God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. Notice, all of Eden was not a garden. The garden was planted on the east side of Eden. So Eden was a very large place where Adam would be, and the garden was a, much, was a smaller place where God had intended for Adam to work. Now, this is wonderful, God. Maybe later on we'll come and talk about this and, and so much can be gathered from this. How Eden, consider all of the world is going to be man's domain. Eden is a particular place about it. It's something particular about Eden to the which God has chosen. And this garden in particular, notice that God himself, plant. why did God himself plant the garden there in such a way? And then God situate the man because it's clear that Eden is going to be a place for man to give some form of. Now, notice the word that I'm about to use a spiritual service, a spiritual service. And the reason why I make that particular analogy is remember all the whole world is going to be for man and mankind, all of it. And the whole world, man is going to. Uh, 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 let me just say this point while I'm here, and I'll probably get to it again. Physical labor, working, working was intended by God in the beginning. Hard work, work from the sweat of the brow and the land not giving forth its fruit. That's a part of the curse in Genesis chapter three. But but working, just simply laboring and doing something was always a part of the plan when there was no sin. So the whole world was supposed to be worked and all of that and the land that cultivated and things of that nature. But notice there is something specific about Eden. And the only thing that I'm laboring here to say is Eden is a spiritual type and place for where man's work or his service labor would therefore become worship. It is his form of worship to God. But anyway, let's go on. Uh, where was I? Where was I? Where was I? So he planted the garden there and he placed man whom he had formed. And there Adam is placed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is, in, that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now we see that in the garden of Eden, we see that God has made all types of trees. And I think it's a beautiful thing how God wants. Notice it. Every tree that is pleasing to the sight. That means they were beautiful to look upon and also they were good for food. So it's both beautiful and it is also beneficial to the body. And then we have the introduction also to another tree that is in the very middle of the garden. And that is the tree of life. And also there is another tree in the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So now here's where we need to need to stop and talk about this. Basically, what we see taking place in the Garden of Eden is testing. Is testing. Now, when 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 man was created, man was created 
in creaturely holiness with the capacity to choose good or evil. In other words, when God created Adam, he created Adam in perfect holiness. There was no sin. Notice when you see all in Genesis chapters one and chapter two, the summary of all things is everything that God had created was good. And the man and the woman were what? Naked and unashamed. So the man and Eve as well were created in perfect holiness. However, with the ability to make a choice. They could choose either to obey God or they could choose to disobey God and they would not be influenced by a sin nature. Now, I'm hoping you guys. OK, sin nature, just in case you guys don't know, simply is innate. That is inherent within all of us. The inability of ourselves to do the good on our own, the sin nature, that which almost not so, I don't want to use the term compels, but it is that strong influence within us to by the which, by the which it becomes our very nature to do what is repugnant, disobedient, sinful against God by our very nature. You got it. It's almost kind of like guys that can't help it. Not not necessarily to say so, but that's pretty much the idea. So when Adam was created, he had no sin nature. He could choose. He could choose to do the good or the evil. Now, these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil represented that choice. So what we have here is the probationary period. This was the testing of Adam. This would be his test. And the bottom line is now God is going to give him the command. And we're going to see that command coming up later on. The command not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The point is this. This is his period of probation. Had Adam obeyed God he would have been confirmed in his holiness. And let me explain that. Okay, right now, Adam is a holy creature without sin, having the ability to choose to do evil if he wanted to. All right, he could do it if he wanted to. So he has a choice now. Had Adam passed his test, because all that is taking place in the garden at this moment is simply a test. God did not create robots. He did not create a robot. God wanted to create a creature who of his own free will will choose to love him. And that's basically what God is asking Adam to do. Because, okay, let me tell you what you have to look at. The Bible teaches this. Don't love simply in word alone, but love indeed. But true love is always shown by what you do. Again, remember what Jesus said? If you love me, 
then what? Do what I say. Keep my commandments. So God wants a creature to love him. So what does he do? He gives him a command. And, late, and I know I'm a really premature guy, but I'm just trying to bring it into focus. All this tree, what does it mean and why is it here in the first place? So God is simply saying to this man, do you love me? Let me back up a little bit. Let's look around. Watch this. And we're going to see all of this as it, as it unfolds in Genesis and what God is going to do. God is going to say, I made the world. I made the fish. I made the birds. I made the animals. I made all of these things. And you know what I said to you? I told you that the world is yours. I told you to, to govern them, to rule over them. Basically, I gave all of these things to you. Now, let's just deal with that principle once again. If love is shown by what you do, it's not God saying to his man, to Adam. It's not God saying to him, I love you. Can't you see that I have given you, for the most part, everything? That's what the Bible says. All things are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. So clearly, God is not speaking in words. He has spoken through his deeds that he loves him. And now God wants the same love back from Adam. But the love that Adam gives must be given freely. God could have created him without the ability to choose. But if God had created Adam without the ability to choose, how can Adam truly love God? He would have no choice but to love him. Why? He ain't got no other choice. That's just simply the way he's made. So God made him in unconfirmed holiness. He was holy, but he could choose to act contrary to his nature. That is, he could choose to do a wrong thing. Unlike God, God cannot act contrary to his own nature. God is absolutely holy. He cannot sin. But here's the point that I'm trying to make, guys. And, if, and if, um, forgive me if I'm babbling, but I really want you to see the whole issue of the trees. So once Adam is passes his test, that is, he does not eat. And we don't know how long that would have been his testing would have been. We don't know that. Okay. But once Adam had passed the test, then that it was simply, he only had one command. It was just one command. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So had he passed that particular test, he would have like the angels. And you know what? Since I'm here, okay, fine. Let me just go ahead and tell you guys all about it. He would have been confirmed in his holiness like the angels in times past. Let me explain Adam and then I'll get back to the angel part. OK. So he would have been confirmed and confirmed in his holiness simply means this. It means that he would have had his nature would have been sealed. That means forever unchangeable. He would have been holy unchangeable and all of his children that means the remainder of the human race all of his children would have been born 
holy without sinful natures. Now, listen, here's the important part without the ability to sin. That's it. You see, that was the key. Had Adam passed his test, his holiness would have been confirmed. That is sealed. He would not be able to sin. And therefore, all of his children would have been born sinless and unable to sin. That is without sin, sinful nature, which meant that they would never have told one single lie ever. No sin at all. However, we all know Genesis chapter three, Adam failed his test. OK, so that's what it means. That's what I'm, we're talking about. When we were saying he would have been confirmed in his holiness. But at this at the moment right now in Genesis two, he is in an unconfirmed state because he is in a state of testing. Now, let me get back and tell you guys this whole thing about the angels concerning the angels. This is I'm actually in Ezekiel chapter 28 and we're dealing from all of the events, cumulative events. So this is basically the state of the angels in the beginning. A time that is the Genesis one and verse one thing. OK, in the dateless past, when the creation, the original creation that we told you guys about earlier, under the domain of Satan. God, of course, he has all things. He had given the earth to Satan, blah, 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 tweet, 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 and all these things. But the point is this, they, the angels also had a testing time, a time of unconfirmed holiness, but they also, that period also ended, that the period of the angels testing ended in the rebellion of Satan, when one third of the angels of God rebelled against God. Okay. And when those one third angels rebelled against God, it left the remainder two thirds of the angels who did not rebel against God in holiness. So here's what happened. Here's basically what happens. So those one third angels who rebel with Satan, we refer to simply as angels, fallen angels, demons, and things of that nature. But these are the bad guys. They were sealed. They were sealed. So matter of fact, both of them, it was both the fallen angels and the two thirds who did not fall. They were all, all of them, all of them sealed. That means simply this, the angels who fail, who disobey, who rebelled against God, those angels are forever evil. They, there is, have, okay, those, let me just simply make the points and, and end it. Those angels are forever in a fallen state and the angels who did not rebel, those angels are forever in a holy state. Have you ever wondered why? When you read the scriptures, you never hear of an angel who was a demon angel, a sinful angel. They never turn and repent and you never hear of a good angel ever falling again. And the reason why bad angels don't repent and turn good or good angels never fall is once the testing for the angels was complete, they were sealed. 
they were confirmed. They were either confirmed in their unholy state of rebellion, the one third of the Satan's angel, or they were confirmed in their holiness, never to fall again. And that was the two thirds who did not rebel against God. All right, guys, I had no intention of going in that direction, but hey, that's the way we did it. Come back with me, join me next time as we continue in our study of Genesis chapter two, as we deal with man and the creation of both the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden. See you then.